Hussam, thank you very much for, for joining us. I uh, really appreciate it. Uh, let me start by usually what I do on this podcast. The first thing I do is introduce people to Mate. I don't know if you've, have you had Mate before? I have not had Mate. Okay, all right. We should have it soon. Actually, we're planning to do this more when we're together in a studio. Uh, but since this is a new podcast, and even though, you know, we're step and we do big conference and so on, when we're starting something new, we'd like to start it small. So eventually we'll upgrade to a studio and then we can sit together and, and have the Mette in the studio. Looking forward uh, to it. Yeah, same here. I'll, I'll have so my coffee you, until then. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> coffee is great as well. Yeah. Coffee is great. So you, you've, you've recently, uh, not very recently, but recent enough, uh, you, you've, you've sold uh, Nemshi and you've now uh, co-founded Tabby. Uh, did you get some time to rest in between? Unfortunately, not enough. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the plan was for a much longer time off, uh, but it did not materialize. So uh, shortly after uh, leaving, uh, I started thinking about what was next. Uh, and when the opportunity for Tabby came up, um, fortunately, I think for, for me, the timing was of the essence. Uh, so we jumped right into it. So I think we, all in all, I took about uh, two to three weeks off between uh, between the two. And that was oh, it after wow. eight, eight, eight years at Namshi. Yeah. That's a pretty short vacation for having was, sold the company. It wasn't much of a vacation. So how did that come about? Like, did you just come across, you know, or the idea came to you or were you doing something that prompted that? How did that happen? Sure. So, I mean, I came across Buy Now, Pay Later as a business model probably a few years before uh, before we started Tabby. Uh, and that was when uh, we came across it in a sister company to Namshi's in Australia. They were using Afterpay, which was one of the first companies that, uh, that got into the space and probably one successfulities in the space right now um, and that kind of stuck with me and we thought why can't we have something similar in the region actually we, we were quite excited about doing some uh, using a similar process or a similar provider for uh, for Namshi um, but neither after play pay nor Klarna were coming to the region and so you know didn't really uh, think about it beyond that uh, and then a couple of years later I think the space really started to mature um, and I thought why not uh, try to do it ourselves and, and uh, given the value that we saw that these guys were providing in other markets I think the other driver for us, uh, specifically for the region, was just the importance of solving for cash and delivery, um, given the prominence and the, uh, the challenges with uh, that cash and delivery uh, presents. So we thought, you know, buy now, pay later by design allows the customer to pay later, which is one of the key uh, reasons why customers generally choose to pay by cash. Um, and so, yeah, I think I think it just all kind of came together and, and it made sense. How long did it take you from when you decided you want to kick this off until you actually did? Uh, what was the what was the process? So obviously, there was a period where it was kind of an idea, and do I really want to do something straight straight away? And um, so, I think that was that took some time, right, to get comfortable with the fact that we were going to step into another uh, startup uh, this quickly. So I think that was uh, probably the uh, the most time-consuming uh, piece of it all, where there was just that uncertainty on on whether we wanted to do it so quickly. Um, I, I think once we uh, kind of decided, my, myself, my co-founder, that this is uh, something that we wanted to uh, get into, 
I think the decision was fairly straightforward that, uh, and, and uh, I think that the entire kind of setup and uh, trying to get things together and, and uh, figure out the business model and figure out uh, just the complexities of the region probably took another two months uh, to put something together for. And how is it going from, uh, how many people were you in Amshi when you, when you sold? Was it like 200, 500, how many people was there? So we were closer to the 500, uh, 500, 500 people. Including, including kind of operational staff. I think um, outside of operations, we were probably about 150. So how is it to go from 500 people to like you're imagining 500 people to going to you know one or two on your own, and then you know you have to do the smallest thing yourself again, and all of this. Yeah. How did that feel? Did that it's, feel it's, exciting, or did you feel that it's lonely? You know, oh, you have to do it. <laughs> it's lonely. <laughs> Right, so uh, yeah, I think I think one of the uh, one of the challenges is just the fact that yeah, you're on your own all of a sudden, and as you said precisely, right? Uh, I mean, up until recently, I'm still releasing salaries myself, right? I'm uh, I'm going into the notary public and signing documents uh, myself, and these are things that um, back when uh, when uh, we had uh, we had money and we had a big business, you had people do that for you. So it definitely is very different, and it's. Um, it's humbling to to do that all, yeah. all over again. Yeah. Um, but honestly, I mean, it's it's part of building a business, right? And I did, did you feel a bit rusty going back to it uh, in terms <laughs> of like doing the small little stuff? Absolutely, right. I think I, I guess the first time around, you're like, yeah, I, I need to do it. I don't have a choice. And now you're like, yeah, I could hire, uh, but let's not do that too too early on. Uh, so you know, up until today, we don't have an HR person. Yeah. We don't have uh, we don't have a PRO. And, and honestly, some of the things that we did at Namshi, we did probably earlier than we did over here because we had more money at Namshi. Yeah. So I want to ask you a lot of things about Tabby, but before that, let's talk about uh, how did you take Namshi from you know zero to sold in about seven seven years or eight years, uh, and you guys sold for I think around two hundred and fifty million or something around that, which is you know there are not many startups in the region that are, that have sold for. Uh, such numbers. So, how? Tell us about the like journey. Uh, how did it start, uh, and how did it grow so fast? And and such a. And I remember I was I was probably one of the customers in Namshi in the early days, maybe 2013 or 14 when I when I moved to Dubai. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I mean, the uh, we exited the business at the end at around the 300 million dollars. Um, so, as you said, I think it was a um, a fairly good exit for the region. Um, and we were one of the uh, only ones in the e-commerce space. I think outside of Sue, it was just uh, ourselves at the time uh, that had an exit. Um, and so, yeah, I think the journey was was quite incredible. Uh, I would say what we did differently is we just built lean very early on. We built a business where, uh, you know, despite the fact that we didn't really have control over uh, ownership and ESOPs and, and, and employee compensation in terms of, you know, the structure of the business was slightly different at the time, as opposed to many of the businesses that are, are that are that started after us, where, you know, the ESOPs and things like that were under the control of the management. Um, uh, we still managed to make people feel that they were owners in the business, right? So there wasn't direct ownership per se, but the, the ownership was still there in terms of how people went about their everyday business. And I think that really mattered to us and it, it, it meant a lot, right? Bringing on uh, people that started as fresh grads and giving them 
ownership of a department or ownership of, of a product um, and just letting them go with that, I think really mattered uh, right? because we, we managed to get the best out of them. And, and some examples here is right. We, we had a fresh grad out of uh, the AUS. She came and joined us. Uh, no experience whatsoever in, in, in fashion or buying. And three years in, she was managing our entire private label, a $20 million dollar uh, $20 million budget just for her uh, to go out and and basically spend and, and buy product, right? So, um, and I think that that was something that we were able to do because we set the business up in that way early on. And, and uh, uh, you know, as opposed to a larger entity that has a bureaucracy in place and has a lot of the, uh, uh, a lot of uh, just challenges in terms of allowing people to do what they want. I think that was the, that was a key component and, and allowed us to differentiate. Uh, so yeah, I would, I would pin it down to just really hiring when needed and, and stretching people um, because of the fact that we weren't hiring too much. Um, and at the same time, giving people full ownership and responsibility over uh, their areas of, of ownership. And uh, I think that made a lot of difference. So you said you had, you had uh, early on in, in, with Nemshi, uh, and you fundraised early at the beginning, or... So how, so how yeah, did you... I mean, like, if you look at Nemshi, it was, it was a rocket business, right? So with a rocket business, the way that things kind of end up transpiring is they give you some money and... Um, if you end up doing well um, or going in the right direction, then you get a bit more money. And if uh, things don't go in the right direction, then they shut you down, right? And um, and that's essentially kind of how we built the business. We built a business assuming we had no money, um, despite the fact that it was available to us if we needed it. Uh, but the assumption always in the back of our minds was you don't have any money and, and let's see how much you can uh, do uh, without that money. Right. And so that was in everything that we did in terms of hiring, in terms of spending on marketing, spending on inventory, um, all the key cost components of the business were just managed very, very efficiently from day one with the assumption that money was going to run out sooner or later. Yeah. I really like the uh, Basecamp uh, model of hire when it hurts. So mm -hmm. you shouldn't hire anyone until like you feel that you really need that person. Otherwise, you know, you can't, you can't get sure. the job done. Strength, um, you know, and, and people need to feel stretched. I think when when people have uh, just a lot of room and a lot of time, then uh, that just becomes the norm and the expectation, right? And then when when you do stretch them, it becomes a bit of an abnormality. Uh, whereas if people always have a lot to do, um, then you know, that's when you get the best out of them, and, and it gets to the point of breaking when you hire the next person after that. Yeah, and how do you ensure that when 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 you know you start hiring and growing at a at a at a at a certain pace, which you did, um, and your business is very much customer facing business and it's a B two C business, so and everything kind of starts from within, and you know your culture on the inside reflects the culture on the outside. Uh, so how do you ensure that when you know hiring new people come in? Uh, that they follow that culture. I mean, you spoke a little bit yesterday about customer service and, and all of that. Uh, so how it's kind of, you, you know, you, you roll that down to everyone within the organization uh, so that they're up to that, you know, level of customer service, same culture and so on. Sure. So, and again, when I, I guess when I spoke about um, hiring to the point of, of breaking point uh, or not before breaking point, I think, uh, that applied everywhere except for where it really touched the customer, right? So 
where the only area that we were really scaling uh, headcounts in the early years of the business was um, delivery, customer service, um, areas where the customer was directly impacted, as opposed to what you would call back office, which is buying, marketing, and all of those other parts of the business where um, the customer wasn't directly impacted. Right, and and those are the areas that we can stretch. But um, back to your question, um, yeah, I think I think it was when when we came in, when we started Namshi, when and you looked out in into the competition, there was very little attention to customer experience in the region. Um, I think it's very different where it is today. Uh, I think uh, customer experience is becoming a lot more. Uh, at, uh, at the forefront, and people understand the value of that uh, in building a brand and building a business. However, when we started in 2011, that wasn't the case at all. Right? We had some competitors that were promising delivery date delivery uh, dates of 25 days. Right, their promise to the customer was, "We'll get you the order in 25 days." Right, Thank and, you, yeah, 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 um, and and that wasn't always met. Um, so when you come in. And and you you identify that gap. I think it's 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 essential, um, and it wasn't just essential because we wanted to please the customer. I think it was essential because that's the only route to success. And obviously, we had we had other role models in in the e-commerce space that proved that. Uh, right. I think if you look at Zappos and if you look at ASOS and other markets, they proved. And Amazon, obviously, as uh, as the uh, as, uh, as up there, they proved that the only sustainable way of building a business is. By ensuring that the customer is happy. Did you ever outsource that? Did I ever? Sorry, what was that? Uh, uh, did you ever outsource customer service, or do you think? You know, so yeah, I mean, I think we outs. So we outsourced early on two areas, which you know maybe we uh, maybe it was right to outsource them for the short term until we were able to, to insource them, but uh, definitely not a long term solution. Um, and that was warehousing. Uh, delivery and customer service, right? So those were all sitting somewhere else, and with with a three PL, probably for about six to nine months, uh, our first six to nine months of the business, and we started insourcing them one by one. So the first thing we brought in is um, is customer service. That was relatively easy. After that, we brought in where uh, warehousing, um, and that was important, right? It was taking our three PL uh, two days to ship an order, whereas we thought we could do a much better job. And then finally, we insource delivery, and I think that's the most challenging thing to insource. And it's also not something that you need to insource in other markets. Uh, so, in markets where um, you know, delivery providers are capable and and can scale, that's not something that e-commerce companies generally so, do. So, how, how how did you go about the decision to do that? Because I think even here, a lot of e-commerce players still also uh, outsource that as well. So. You know, for someone who's starting up an e-commerce startup today, how do they decide? You know, given that also it's very capex heavy, is including warehousing and it's quite yep. a high cost. Uh, why did you decide that, and, and do you recommend it for others as well still today in the region? This was back in two thousand and yeah, probably. and I, I think that's a key difference, right? So if you um, if you look at where things are today, I think. The capabilities are much better than than they were back then, right? There are providers uh, that will do a, a fairly decent job. I think then the question becomes if if they're able to address your uh, service requirements on the service side, then it just becomes a, a cost question, right? 
However, for us, it wasn't just a cost question. It was much more, and I think it was probably more expensive in the short term, uh, but was a lot more about quality and service quality, right? So in order to be able to deliver to a customer in a day or two days in the UAE, you had to in-source warehousing um, and probably also delivery. Um, today, I think that's less a, an issue. Um, and so I think, yeah, the question goes back to uh, when, when someone's looking at it today, if the quality is being addressed, uh, then it just becomes a question of cost. And I think if you're looking at it purely from a cost perspective in the short term, while, uh, while the company is not at scale, it probably doesn't make the most sense. So one thing I remember when I used Nemshi maybe for the first time or like the first few times, uh, something that I really liked was, uh, especially, you know, this was several years back, the way everything was presented, the way, you know, you check out the different items, you had like all the photos looked, you know, perfect. They looked like creative. They had it. It looked like it appealed, you know, to younger audience, yeah. you know, uh, and a certain modern style. Uh, how did that come about? Was that something that, you know, you decided on from like day one, that's how I want it to look like? Was it out of personal taste or something else that you saw? Well, I guess, yeah, I mean, if you ask me how it looked like seven years ago versus where it looks like today, it's, uh, we, we would not have been very happy with what it looked like seven years ago, right? So that was something that was constantly evolving and we wanted to, um, you know, and at the end of the day, a lot of, a lot of uh, I mean, you ask a lot of e-commerce providers and there's just, uh, just images, right? And it's just pictures, what, what difference does it make? Um, but we really felt that that image is what the, the customer saw and that's how they, uh, they uh, kind of uh, um, appreciated what Namshi had to offer was at the end of the day, they are buying an image, right? You're buying a fashion product and therefore you are buying an image. That needed to up to certain standard. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think again, you look at what's around and, and you realize that what is around isn't that great. And then you look outside and, and you see uh, areas where other companies are doing an incredible job there, right? And uh, one thing that we, I think, consistently did at Namshi and I think we're consistently doing right now in my new business is looking for who are these companies that are best practice? Who are these companies that are doing an, an, uh, an amazing job? And, and let's try to set them as a standard, as a role model uh, for us across the entire business. And I don't think it's anything to be shy about, right? So um, early on at Nemshi, we looked at ASOS and we said, that's a business that we want to look like. Um, they have a great customer experience. They have a great image. They have a great brand um, and their customers love them. Let's try to learn from them what they do best. And if there are areas that we can improve on, then let's improve on those uh, further. Um, but from uh, from the areas that you just mentioned, I think uh, in terms of look and feel, in terms of uh, customer experience, uh, in terms of the assortment itself, and and how it appealed to the young consumer, um, they were definitely a, a role for us, and, and that was fairly clear across the entire business. So in a lot of things, you looked at ASOS or other players, and you're like, okay, this works there, so it must work here, and. Do you remember like that day when you, you know you looked at their website and you were like, okay, this looks really good. Let's you know, and you went to someone on the team and you were like, let's let's look at this. That's how we need to be. And you guys went and did that in this way, or was that before you started Namshi? That you know, well, you well, it definitely before before we started. I think uh, before you start, you think everything. Uh, a lot of that stuff just 
just comes naturally, right? And and then you look at the output, and uh, it's, it's yeah. clear that it doesn't. Um, and and honestly, I mean, uh, for for fashion, e-commerce, photography is a very challenging thing to to get right. Um, I think we, we we invested a lot in it. We invested a lot on the people side, uh, but also in terms of uh, equipment and, um, and consultants and things like that. Obviously, that's not something you can do on, on day one, right? So you make do with what you can, with what you have. Um, and then when the time is right and you feel it's it makes sense to start investing in it, then you do. So initially, it was just let's improve the yeah. look and feel and, yeah, and the product photography. Then it became okay. Let's invest in in uh, higher quality models. So we started uh, bringing in models from the UK. We started flying in models from all over the place. Um, and yeah, I these are not things that directly translate into uh, into sales, right? You can't put a dollar value on them. But when you look at this image that we wanted to present, um, I think it was in, an important component of it. Yeah, this is a very important thing you mentioned here, which almost every founder goes through is that, you know, we were talking a bit earlier about when you need to be, you know, lean and need to make sure your cost is, yep. you know, when it hurts and whatever. At the same time, you need to also know when you can be cheap and you need to go for the premium and, and overspend. And a lot of people do mistakes in that. They think, you know, there's they think there's only one rule. You need to go cheap on everything and cut sure. cost or but it's, uh, you know, from your experience with Nemshi, it was clearly that it was a mix of the two. And it was about deciding, you know, did someone, for example, at that time from Rocket or someone else say, you know, why are you spending that amount of money on models and, you know, photo great photographers and whatever? How's that translating into sales? Uh, how, how did you evaluate that from your point so, of view? How do you evaluate it? Again, it's, a, it's an evolution, right? It's, um, it's important that it is an evolution. It can't just be from day one you want to, you want to, uh, have uh, everything be top-notch. I think uh, the idea is you need to evolve there and you need to get there and, and, it, and it's a constant evolution, right? I told you um, the images in seven years ago were definitely not where the images uh, were today, but I think seven years ago we were relatively happy with, with where they were. Right? So, um, yeah, so I don't, I don't think there was anyone that came to us and, and, and said, uh, why are you investing? Having said that, I think once you have a board and once you have investors that, uh, that come on board, you need to justify a lot of the investments that you're making. Um, and so, uh, you know, it becomes a lot easier to justify these things uh, once when things are looking good. When things are not looking good, it's uh, it's very difficult to justify a spend on on a higher quality model or a higher quality yeah. image. And I think in some way or the other, you need to kind of figure out as a founder what makes your brand and what you're doing stand out. So I think maybe at least from you know for me as a as a cons on the consumer side and seeing Nemshi, the the kind of like uh, UI experience of the website and the uh, images and the brand, you know, I felt that although your your the products you had were not very expensive, so they were fairly you know very yeah. well priced, but I felt like I'm buying a premium you know mm -hmm. product. So, which which really added the value. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, no, as, I mean, I was going to say, you're right. so we we talk about some of the soft stuff, right? And and the soft stuff that we made investments in. Obviously, I mean, there's a lot of uh, things that go behind the scenes um, on the product itself, right? Uh, the the app was something that we invested very very heavily in. Um, the speed of the app, the the infrastructure that that's behind it. Um, and and these are all 
investments that we justified by direct impact on the customer. So the, the, the biggest question that we, we would ask ourselves on any project that we would do at Namshi is what is the impact on the consumer? Um, and if that was not clear, uh, then that investment wasn't made, uh, right? Because, you know, for for any for any founder, any uh, entrepreneur, what they're going to be faced with is decisions on prioritizing. Uh, you're going to be hit with a uh, hundred different ideas and a hundred different priorities, and you need to prioritize and decide what is important for you today versus what can wait. Um, and I think the only way where it makes sense to figure out prioritization is via customer impact what you know this project versus that project which impacts my my consumer more uh versus which doesn't i want to ask you i know you're not you are still related to e-commerce you're not you know on the you're on the on a different side now with tabby uh but given your experience within e-commerce a lot of you know founders in the region are either existing uh, e-commerce uh, founders or you know there's also more verticals that people are sitting still going into if you were to start, you know, within a vertical or an e-commerce business today, uh, as Hassam in Dubai or the Middle East, I want to go over different areas. If you can tell me what are certain things that, you know, you would go with if you were to start a company today. So let's start with the operation side. So, and I think some of the people in the audience are asking about that as well. So on, on delivery, uh, warehousing and customer service for each of these, can you tell me like who, if you know specific names as well, like who you would you choose as a partner? Uh, how would you would you still do it in house? Uh, same thing for the other stuff. It's it's difficult to to name partners over here. Um, I think there's uh, a lot of players in the space. I think there's a lot of players that haven't really evolved and, and uh, matured, despite the fact that they've been around for a very long time. Uh, um, so. Um, you know, I would I would probably look at some of the more recent startups uh, in the space and, and try to see what they can do for us because uh, you know, they're just a lot more technologically advanced. They're a lot more hungry uh, for business, and they'll they'll serve some of the smaller businesses. Um, but the question on yeah, do you do you outsource? Do you insource? Again, it really comes down to um, what you know. What are your priorities today versus what should they be three or four years from now? Uh, I think for many startups. Unless their business is core, the core of their business is delivery, uh, then they should probably look at figuring out ways in, in which they can outsource. On the tech side, um, would you go with the platforms like Shopify or other platforms to kick off your e-commerce business today, or would you build your own? I believe back in the day, you probably built your own. Uh, yeah. In one yeah. Way or the other. yeah, I think I think if you look at where we are today, a lot of the platforms are a lot more advanced than, than where they used to be, and they can support much bigger businesses. I think uh, in the short term, to give you the opportunity, the A, the speed to market, and the opportunity to scale easily and test easily, I would probably uh, go for an existing platform. And then, if the need requires at a later stage, then then you build. Um, but yeah, I think it's a it's a heavy investment to build that all from scratch today, um, especially if time to market is important. Okay, on payments and try to be objective here. <laughs> I know you're at Dabi now, so how would you put the order in terms of priority of what you should have as a as a payment enablement within a new e-commerce, even in in the first six months to one year? Like if you can list them in the order. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I'm not going to say that buy now, pay later is should be the top of your decision uh, or, or the number one thing that you look at, right? The number one thing you want to enable is just a proper payment gateway that accepts 
uh, cards within the region and and uh, is technologically sound. Um, and so, yeah, the, the, there are multiple options in the market already um, and a lot of uh, strong local players in the space. Um, I, th I think there's quite a few, actually, and it's, it's difficult to look uh, across them and try to um, try to figure out the differences. But I think it really the, the question come, should come down to two key things is um, how important will we be for this uh, payment gateway? as a client right so some payment gateways just don't want to work with small businesses they don't want to work with startups um and then you know what's the kind of integration complexity and and then um, how does it sit on my e-commerce platform um but yeah i think payment gateway is definitely the the first question that you need to ask and funny enough you know, we used to get asked that question a lot in the early days of namshi you know what's your payment gateway and uh back in 2012 that was probably the least of our concerns Right, it was eighty-five percent of our orders were cash on delivery. It really did not matter what fifteen percent, what where yeah. orders went. Um, but now I think things are clearly changing. Uh, we're close to 50, 40, 50, 60 percent, depending on on the vertical uh, of digital payments. So I think uh, the the decision on the choice of payment gateway is quite important. Okay, and uh, what about uh, things like Apple Pay and other? uh enablements how, how, when should the founder an e-commerce founder think about these things and how should they prioritize when to have that have you seen a significant evolution right i think i think the most basic is let me have a functioning website where people can transact and i can deliver right that's kind of basic number one it needs to work and i need to be able to sell and i need to be able to get the product to the customer um, then you start to kind of optimize further on, okay, how do I optimize um, spend on marketing? How do I optimize uh, delivery uh, cost? How do I improve uh, page load speed? Uh, do I build an app? Um, and so on and so forth. Um, and uh, yeah, I think on, on uh, after that is, can I add additional payment methods? And this is where kind of my... Uh, yeah. Maybe the buy now, pay later. Do I need to add that? Do I need to add Apple Pay? Do I need to add local payment methods in each market that I'm in? Um, these kind of uh, are, 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 I would say, depending on the market, uh, they become uh, at that stage a lot more important. So in Saudi, you probably wouldn't want to launch an e-commerce business without having access to Madam uh, as the local debit card uh, scheme. Uh, in the UAE, it really doesn't matter. You set up, uh, you start a, a local payment gateway where you can accept cards and you're fine. On uh, next one is growth, so probably that's an important part of you know getting customers in and, and acquiring users. Uh, and today the landscape is quite competitive. There's a lot of players. You're competing with big boys and small boys everywhere. Uh, so how how do you uh, how would you go about that today if you have an e-commerce business in terms of customer acquisition and spending on acquiring customers? Yeah, I mean, that's a kind of a very very broad. Uh, topic try to dictate yeah, yeah. so i mean uh again i think early on the expectation should be that spend will be inefficient and it'll be highly highly inefficient um and why it's because um a lot of the things that i spoke about which are secondary and tertiary haven't come into play yet which is uh you know you don't have uh, the assortment where you need it. and let's Let's maybe uh, focus on e-commerce for a second, right? You're, you're trying to sell product. 
you haven't understood what your customer wants. You don't have enough of that assortment. Uh, you don't have enough breadth, um, just know-how on what sells on your website. And that is, uh, again, an evolution. Uh, you're not going to get that from uh, in the early days. You're going to learn and develop uh, your understanding of consumer demand and, and what they're looking for. Um, and if you do go out and say that you want to be uh, this big in year one, Therefore, you're going to have to invest in buying a lot of inventory that, that, for many reasons, might end up not selling, right? So there is a, a significant investment that you would need to make there. Um, so I think in every in everything that I would kind of consider with regards to growth, it needs to be very phased. I think if uh, there's, there's very few noon.coms that can come in and say, we're going to be big on year one, right? In year one, I think everyone for pretty much everyone else, in that understanding needs to be that I can't be that big in year one. I need to get there eventually uh, because I need to be efficient on my spend. My spend on inventory, my spend on marketing, my spend on hiring, on all these components, it needs to be kind of a, a, a constant learning approach of how do I continue to optimize and learn and develop uh, rather than getting there immediately. And how do you know uh, what or what your customer, what the customers in general are looking for? Uh, do you start by, you know, thinking of okay, what's what's well, where is there's a gap? What do customers need? And walk back towards having the products, or let me put out some products that I think will do well and people need, and you know, see if see if people will buy or not. And then if they don't, I'll, you know, and also you know, versus having your own inventory or or working yeah. with partners and providing these things. So I, I guess, yeah, a question maybe on, on marketplace versus buying, right? And, and just making everything available to your customer versus uh, you buying it yourself uh, does come down to the, si the investment that uh, you're willing to make and, and how much uh, capital you have. Um, as what we, what we did differently at Namshi versus, say, the Amazons and the news of the world is we had to buy the inventory because we wanted to ensure that we were able to address the demands of our customers very um, with a lot of control. We needed to ensure that we had that product that the customers were looking for it. Um, and whenever we did that on Marketplace, or we tried to do that on Marketplace, that we weren't very successful there. Um, so the nice thing about, let's say, on, on, on in terms of buying your own inventory for a fashion retailer, you can follow demand very quickly. So you see something sells, you go out into the market and buy more and more and more of it. And then next year, when you know that that thing is going to sell again, you just buy early on and you ensure that you have enough of it, as opposed to uh, going back into the market and not finding that anymore, right? Because everyone's looking for it. So maybe maybe a, a silly example or a simple example for what happened during COVID, right? What happened during COVID is uh, there was a massive demand on swimming pools, indoor swimming or half pool swimming pools uh, for the home uh, and pumps for the swimming pools. And yeah. these marketplaces were sharing the same supply uh, from a handful of swimming pool uh, sellers in the market. And within a month, we sold out of swimming pools in the UAE. Um, and what ends up happening, obviously, is that, that you're not able to keep up with the demand and, and you're missing a, a huge uh, opportunity on sales. Now, obviously, nobody's going to predict uh, that there was going to be a spike in swimming pools. But the alternative, when you have inventory and there is an ability to predict demand, then you're just stocking up on swimming pools early on. And the opportunity for growing that 
uh, is significant. And so where we have that, and an example uh, we, we go back to a lot, is back to school for, for Namshi. We knew that every year there was going to be a massive spike in sales of backpacks, and we knew what backpacks they were going to be. So which size backpack, which color backpack, and therefore we just bought every backpack in the market early on, and we ensured that we had that stock. As opposed to people that were sharing that stock uh, across a number of retailers where you know, they could only meet, they'll, they'll sell out of backpacks, but they'll sell out of, back, of a very small number of backpacks. Um, so that's interesting. Sure with your answer to your question, but but so that's kind of a a, a point on on marketplace versus uh, inventory, uh, yeah. which is quite important. I want to talk more about Tabby, uh, which is your new venture. So with Tabby, who who's your your role model in the in the U.S. or in the West? Who did you look? Who do you look at today? Uh, who do you go on their you know website uh, research and try to yeah. see what they're doing and try to implement here? Yeah, so I think and uh, with Tabby, maybe for for people that uh, don't know what Tabby is, so we are a buy now pay later business. We offer customers the ability to buy from online and offline retailers um, in installments or in deferred payments. So you go in to checkout just as you as you would a, uh, a any other checkout. And you select uh, Tabby as a payment method, and you're able to split your purchase into uh, without any interest, right? No cost. So you're you're uh, basically the merchant is bearing the cost of that transaction for you or of that financing for you. And the reason the merchant would do that is because the merchant will see that sees that as a customer acquisition tool, right? It's a great way to improve conversion on their site because what they're able to do is give them give their customers installments which for for many consumers that spend that transaction at the point of sale is uh, is an obstacle that they need to overcome like a discount. yeah yeah so and it's cheaper than a discount right that's what i what i like about buy now pay later as a retailer is it's much cheaper for me than offering a discount um and so that's what we're we've done we uh, we launched the business earlier in the year um, on a number of websites across the region, both in the UAE and Saudi, and more recently we launched in store as well uh, with uh, with uh, Ace Hardware and Toys R Us, and we're looking at expanding that uh, soon. Um, so yeah, back to your question on who do we look to? And uh, again, we go back to at Namshi, we had ASOS over here. Uh, we're lucky to have two uh, very strong players in the, in the, in the space globally. One is Afterpay in Australia, and the other is Klarna in uh, in Sweden. Um, they've built a what you can call a cult following, right? Uh, their customers are uh, religious about using these payment methods across uh, for every transaction that they make, and the reason is again, it you know it's a very uh, attractive brand. It's you know they they've made consumer finance sexy, which is not easy to do. Right, and uh, and I think that's something to aspire to. So we're, we we look to these guys. We look at uh, learning from what they've done, uh, you know, not just from a branding perspective, but just you know who do they target in terms of consumers, in terms of merchants, um, uh, and then obviously you try to evolve beyond that, right? You try to address the needs of the local market. So neither of these guys, neither of uh, these players in their markets have cash on delivery as a challenge, right? Uh, cash on delivery is not an issue in Australia, and it's definitely not an issue in Europe. Um, however, for us, it is, and so we've tried to adapt adapt uh, uh, that 
space to the needs of the local market as well. So generally, it's you know I think it was a lot of businesses and the successful ones that have exited here. Uh, it's been about you know most of the business the business model itself usually if it worked in the U.S. or somewhere else it's going to work here at the right time obviously so you need to time the market yeah, right yeah. and then you need to localize as well in in in, in certain ways uh, whether it's solving certain local challenges or brand and and, and so on um how does the model work by the way for you so from from a user point of view uh there you know as a consumer i don't pay anything i just split my payments into different i can pay them in installments but how does it work for you do you does the merchant uh pay you a fee or is it like a subscription or yeah yeah so i mean the idea here and and what's important is to ensure that the cost is on the merchant um for a number of reasons right i think the market just becomes significantly smaller if you're only offering this to customers who are willing to pay an interest or who are willing to pay a cost. Uh, as opposed to if you tell the consumer that this is free for you, uh, then it, you know your market is everybody, right? Uh, yeah. There is no consumer, there's very few consumers that would say, yeah, I don't want to pay for this in installments for free. Um, and I don't need to think about it again because you're just gonna charge me automatically every month, right? So I think when you make that value proposition for the customer very clear and, and very, uh, and it's an easy decision, then the market becomes significantly bigger. Um, and so yes, we we push that cost onto the onto the merchant, and then the question becomes how do you uh, how do you present value and how do you make sure that the value is that clear to the merchant, where they're willing to pay that premium over a regular uh, credit card transaction, right? Because number one question that we do get is, yeah, but I pay X for a credit card. Why should I pay you double that? Um, mm -hmm. And and I think and then it becomes down to us to uh, ensure that we're very clear on what that value proposition to, to, proposition to the merchant is. Um, Essentially, eventually for, for consumers, uh, because there's also uh, the option of paying your credit card in different installments. I get called by the bank all the time asking for that. But yeah. obviously, it comes with a lot of interest. So does your business model, one way or the other, compete with banks and, and kind of threaten some of the bank's business model, which is which is a challenge here as well. And, and there's been you know, different stories about you know, uh, these different regulation uh, issues. Yeah, over yeah, the yeah. And so I think, I think you know, the banks are always going to be challenged unless they, can, uh, unless they evolve, right? Uh, if, it's, if it's not us in the credit space, then it's somebody else in the payment space and, uh, um, and, and the remittances and so on. So I think it's, it's down to the banks to continue to, to try to, be, uh, to stay ahead of the curve or along with the curve. Um, banks are too old. They have to change. <laughs> yeah, so, no, I think, I guess the good thing is the conversation is starting to happen, right? The, the banks are realizing that they need to change things. Um, I think the banks that realize that they can't build everything there on their own are the ones that are probably going to uh, remain relevant. Um, I think if they, if they believe that this is uh, competitive and we need to go and crush them either via regulation or via trying to do it ourselves, then I think the success is, is going to be fairly limited there. Right. So we've had a number of banks come to us and say, let's partner. Let's, and, they, and they realize, right? We, um, it's not that we, we are so much smarter than, than them. We're not, but we're just a lot more flexible. We're a lot more uh, agile and we're, we're able to do things a lot quicker. 
Um, and so they come to us and say, let's let's partner in a number of ways. So we had a recent partnership with uh, Fab, where we launched our product um, into the stores of, uh, of Toys R Us and Ace Hardware, with Fab providing the hardware infrastructure. Um, and you know, all of a sudden, they've, they've become a player in the buy now, pay later space. If they wanted to build this themselves, they could have. Right? But it would have just taken a lot of them a lot more time. Um, so I think that partnership uh, and the understanding of the importance of these partnerships is, is starting to become a lot more um, valid in the region. Um, and, and you know, we we hope that continues to evolve. Yeah, uh, Rami from the audience is asking an important question, um, which is, you know, your kind of business one, it's needs a lot of cash. Uh, yeah. which is raised recently uh, a good chunk of money for that. And the other thing is risk. There's quite a high risk. So how do you, you know, if someone defaults on the payment, uh, happens often in the UAE or, you know, different things could, could happen. And there are these risks. Who bears these risks? Is it you? Is it the merchant? What happens yeah. if yeah. something defaults and so on? Yeah. So I think, you know, again, back to... Uh, the question of us going to the merchant with a value proposition. I think if we went to the merchants and said, we're going to do this for you, but you guys bear the risk, it, it, it really loses all its appeal, right? There is no reason why a, a merchant would want to take that risk um, because then they could just do it themselves and take that risk. Yeah, exactly. Um, right, so we need to go back, uh, go to them with a full uh, proposition on us taking the risk, us collecting from the customer uh, and ensuring that they get paid. So yes, it is a very expensive uh, proposition here. We do, and, and it's a working capital intensive business, right? So the good thing is, I guess, in terms of pure uh, P&L burn, it's not the same as a, an e-commerce company where you're burning cash regularly. Over here, it's just constant working capital as you grow this business. So we're having to pay the merchant before we collect from the customer. Um, and hence the need for uh, raising large amounts of money uh, and an early stage. Um, but then we go back to, as well, partnering with the banks. Um, the banks are looking for ways to diversify their lending lines. They're looking uh, for additional revenue streams. And uh, what, what the one thing they do have is uh, capital, right? So uh, we're yeah. working with banks as well on, on allowing uh, them to lend through us uh, to customers. Um, and that's a relatively cheap source of capital for us that allows us to scale this business while we raise equity to manage to uh, kind of uh, support the uh or the technology uh, and the, the operations yeah uh, and, uh, and again also on 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 customers that default yes you know, uh unfortunately some customers do default uh but that's a part that's kind of a part of the business model yeah for that can you get an insurance? Well, insurance. I mean, I think I don't know if there are any insurance products uh, out there that do this, but I think if there were, then they'd be too expensive and it wouldn't make sense anyway. Um, but you know, in uh, for us, at, if you look back at e-commerce as well, um, offering COD was an expensive proposition, but you just bake that into your business model that in order for me to be able to scale this business, I'm going to have to offer COD, and I'm going to have to lose a lot of money on shipping orders to customers that don't pick up these COD orders, right? Similarly over here, uh, in order to scale this business, you're going to have to take risk. And if you don't take risk, then you don't grow this business. Um, and the cost of that risk is eventually some people don't pay. Now there are repercussions and so on, but still, uh, needless to say, some people will not pay. 
And do you have different deals with the uh, with the merchants? Is it like based on you know you pay based on how many? If I pay you, you know, fully in advance, or I, I split it. So, where is where is the 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 core challenge? Is it in how you pay your merchants and managing cash flow, or is it, you know, what you charge? No, no, I think I think cash flow is probably a a, a big challenge over here because you do need to scale uh, considerably and. and you need to show your merchants that you're sufficiently capitalized as well, right? Because uh, it is a risk on the merchant to work with a buy now, pay later that a player that runs out of money, um, yeah. and, right? Uh, so if if you get into too many doors and you're starting to scale very quickly and then uh, you don't have the cash to support that, then that risk sits on your partner. Um, so it's important for us to very early on uh, show these merchants that we have the capital to support the growth of their businesses. So I think that's, you know, the, and, and uh, I would say that that is the core of this business is really managing treasury and ensuring uh, that you're always sufficiently capitalized to, to manage and support the growth of your partners. Need to have a good CFO. Do you have one already or uh, that's needs to grow? Is it like a team of, or you need like a really, like a genius to manage that? What do you need? You need a strong CFO and, uh, and, and he's on the way. Okay, good. <laughs> Uh, what are some of the things that Klarna and others are facing? How much did they fundraise? So does that give you a kind of a roadmap to how much you need to fundraise? Um, yeah. Are they facing challenges on the defaults and the different risks that come with this business that you need to, you know, be careful about? What are you seeing that's happening yeah, elsewhere? Yeah. I'd say, yeah, I'd say, you know, uh, fundraising is always going to be a challenge uh, if, if, if things are not looking good. But if, um, if the business is performing and, and uh, risk is in check, uh, then they're able to raise. And, and all these guys have seen incredible growth over the last couple of years where fundraising hasn't been a challenge. And there's been um, a huge number of banks that were willing to support their growth, right? And, uh, um, you know, like the likes of Goldman and JP and, uh, and a bunch of other banks have been very uh, interested in, in, in keen on the buy now pay later space uh, and they've opened up their lines to all these players but I, I you know I think the one thing that uh, we all need to understand is there is a balance between growth and risk in this business right so the example here is Klarna went to the US and Klarna for the first time ever saw losses on their PL um, and the reason is because they went into the US trying to grow and needing to grow uh, their, their customer base very quickly. And obviously the, uh, the cost to that is you end up taking more risk than you'd like. Right? So yeah. there's a balance um, and we need to be very careful on how we strike that balance between growth and, and risk. Um, and as long as that's being uh, balanced the right way, then, then I think the, the opportunity is very, very exciting. How has it been being on the merchant side on, on your e-commerce coming from Namshi and now you are on a daily basis working with a lot of them. Uh, so you kind of had to switch hats. Yeah. Uh, has that helped you in some way? Do you, do you get frustrated? Do you <laughs> no, I mean, you know, you always, uh, uh, the grass is always greener. So when we were doing a B2C business, we said, oh, B2B is uh, easy. I wish, I wish we could yeah. deal with a handful of merchants. And then, and then now you look back and you're like, wow, that was so much easier. Um, so, yeah, I think I think both have their challenges. Um, over here, I think the the 
for the complexity that is added even further uh, for our business in buy now pay later is you're having to manage both we have to work with merchants and keep them happy and we also have to work with customers and, and keep them happy and so our customer experience team is actually both uh supports both customers and uh, merchants and vendors to us um but you know one, one of the things that uh, that really has come into handy for for us at tabby is the fact that many of these merchants are merchants that I dealt with in the past at Namshi, and, and there are suppliers, there are retailers that we've partnered with extremely well at Namshi and, and, and spent years uh, buying from. Uh, and now, and the relationships existed and the relationships were quite strong. So that really helped us getting into a number of doors early on um, and, and to, to scale this business. So going from B2C to B2B, how do you um, go about growth today? That's a very different game than B2C. Uh, is it more outreach kind of model you you to the merchants or how you're building that cult and community as well that you know you saw uh, Klarna and others do uh, and you want to replicate here? Yeah, yeah. Now I think over here, it, you know, the uh, I guess the sequencing is slightly different. Um, so we need to build a strong base of consumers early on that we're acquiring via the merchants. We're not acquiring ourselves uh, because it's it will probably be very inefficient for us to go out and acquire customers directly uh, because the only way that they can transact is on a merchant website, right? So uh, we're sequencing it slightly differently. We get to build our customer base through the merchants that we work with today. And then over time, really start investing in, in the brand and acquiring new customers for our merchants, which, uh, you know, we're going to get to fairly soon. Um, uh, and then, yeah, you start to look at the likes of Klarna and Afterpay on what they're doing well over there. Right? So they, they built a lot on the consumer side, but I doubt that that's how they got into the business. And I don't, I, I'm fairly certain that that didn't start, they didn't start off that way. Do you see uh, Tavi going into spaces other than e-commerce? For example, you know, I don't know, my rent, I can pay in installments through you or something else. There's a lot of different yeah, actually, I mean, Honestly, I think they're, they're there's a number of very interesting use cases for uh, installments at uh, with what we're doing. So one is, uh, as you mentioned, I think I think things like services um, are very interesting. We've we've tried a few already. We've gone into um, we've gone into car insurance, um, which is not a typical e-commerce transaction, but it's it's actually been extremely appealing for consumers. We've done some online education, so uh, English language courses and, and marketing courses and things like that, where customers normally would need to spend and put that uh, expenditure up front, where we're splitting that up for them. Um, so, I, and I think there is a number of use cases. Uh, in internationally, uh, there is players that focus on uh, flights and travel, right? Yeah. Um, and that could be an interesting use case as well in this market. So um, definitely, I think there's there's a lot of different opportunities that we can start looking at. Help me understand where the money is coming from here. So someone, obviously, the consumer is winning, which is which is great, and that's you know what tech helps in a lot of ways. Uh, and, and it's important that consumer uh, makes the biggest gains in that regard. But where's that money coming from? So because before, you know, if you want to split up your into different payments, then need to pay interest there's cost that comes with it now for consumers doing it for free so where is that you know what was supposed to be interest kind of covering for uh 
So the merchant is paying something for it, uh, but where is yeah. that money? Is it coming? So the, is the loser like the marketing budget that you're you know you're spending it on on Google Ads and, and other things, uh, and you're acquiring now users organically? Well, I think but that's a good way of looking at it, right? So I think um, so. One one uh, area could be lower marketing spend, right? Because at the end of the day, this is a customer acquisition tool, right? I don't want to. I, I, we we prefer not to call it a payment tool. It's a customer acquisition tool, and therefore, how do you acquire customers today? You acquire customers either via spending a bit more on marketing or discounting, right? And if we allow merchants to discount less or we help them discount less, then I think they're benefiting. Uh, because the issue with the discount is it's very difficult to get out of discounting. And it's a, it's a slippery slope once you get into discounting. Yeah. Um, and so if the alternative is rather than discount your product, uh, how about you just split your payments into multiple installments? Uh, how about you you give the customer the ability to split their payments into multiple installments, and, and the net effect is the same? Then this is much cheaper for them than this guy. Uh, the last question we're running uh, out of time is: uh, What is next for Tabby uh, and for you? Um, and what is you know something you'd, you'd want to leave us with today? So, uh, I mean. For us, it's next, right? It's amazing. We've been uh, we've been operational for uh, for just six months, um, so I think it is really right now focusing on uh, expanding our reach within the market that we're in, um, and just solidifying our customer experience and ensuring that the experience is top notch, right? Because you know, the last thing we'll, that we want to do is is acquire customers and then disappoint them. Um, so we we will probably take a, a slow a, a slight step back on growth in the short term to ensure that uh, we address every touch point with the consumer and make sure that that is uh, is top notch. Um, and then I think it's it's back to expansion from then on, right? Is it uh, be it into new product lines, new markets, uh, whatever you want to call it? But I think I, we don't want to do that before we've ensured that we've addressed uh, our consumer touch points. Hassan, thank you very much. Uh, thanks for the audience who joined us live today. Uh, this will be available also on uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts, so you can also, and on Step Plus also, which, which we launched recently, uh, which has a bunch of different content as well. Um, the main aim of Medic Conversation is for founders and successful founders to share these you know, detailed stories and things they're going to with other uh, founders that are starting up already and are in their business. Uh, Hassan, thank you very much. This was great. Thanks for having me, Ray. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.